This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. Mark chapter 5, if you would, please. Thank you, ladies. What a great message and song. There's a line there that says, Having Christ, we have everlasting life. Have you ever just meditated on that? Everlasting life. You think about that. It is an incredible thought to think that God gives us eternal, everlasting life. It's based upon having Christ. And I appreciate the emphasis in the song because it simply went on to say, not by our works, but by His grace. Great message in song. Thank you for that. I was in such a good mood to preach tonight until Pastor brought up the golf game. And uh, <laughs> thinking about preaching on bitterness tonight. And, uh, We had a good time, and uh, we, we laughed a lot at ourselves, which is what you have to do, otherwise you go crazy. Don't take yourself too seriously when you play golf, that's for sure. Have I given you time to find Mark 5? It looks like maybe I ought to get it opened up to, to my uh, as well. I say again, I can't wait to be with you one more night. Again, your faithfulness has been phenomenal, and I thank you for not only your attendance, but your attention. And I think a sense of anticipation based upon the conversations I've had with so many of you just in passing. And I can tell that the sincere conversations are just that. They're sincere. They're not statements of, oh, I need to say this because he's, he's the guest preacher. So, hey, we've, this has really been a good week. No, I've, I've sensed that you, you have really opened yourself up to allow the Lord to speak to you. And I say to our friends who are watching online, thank you for doing so. And I say this frequently, I hope that you'll grab your Bible and, uh, and, and make sure you're with us. Lock in with us. You've got distractions at your house, I'm sure, uh, that would keep you from being able to uh, uh, be as attentive as you would be in this building, but do the best you can. And if it's possible, come be with us tomorrow night. I understand many of you it can't be, but if it's possible, come and be with us uh, tomorrow night. We'd love to meet you and have you here. I love John Mark the human author of this particular gospel account of the life of Christ. I love him for several reasons. I love him because he represents someone that stumbled. We don't know how, we don't know what he did, but he was a part of the evangelistic team of Paul and Barnabas. The Bible tells us in the book of Acts, a book that you're studying as a church family on Sunday evenings, you'll get to this, that for some reason... He quit the team, and he went back home. And people have made uh, guesses as to what it was that made Mark uh, quit traveling with the Apostle Paul. It must have been pretty serious because later on, the Apostle Paul just simply said, I, I don't really want John Mark to travel with us anymore because it was offered for him to come back and be with them. And he says, no, he said he quit before. I don't think it would be good for him to come and be with us. But then later on, Paul said, I want Mark to come and see me. He is profitable unto me. John Mark was restored. 
You see, I said it before, I'll say it again. Failure is not final. And many a time, the old accuser of the brethren comes along and he says to us, you know, God's run out of mercy for you. You have drawn upon God's bank of his grace and forgiveness and mercy. Uh, just about to the point where you're just, I mean, you, you know, when you were younger as a Christian, you could draw upon it. But man, you've had to ask for forgiveness so many times. There's no way he's going to keep forgiving you. You've run out of it. And we make God into a human being. That By that, we, we treat God like he's another human because a human would not be so forgiving. But God is so willing to forgive. That does not give a Christian an excuse to sin and say, hey, I can, man, this is great. I can sin all I want. And then all I got to do is ask for forgiveness. No, when you are a true follower of Christ, a true believer, you don't want to sin. You don't want to fail the Lord. And it breaks your heart when you do wrong and, and, uh, and, and you want to honor him with your life. John Mark knew failure. Here he is, an author of the scriptures. I love it for that reason. Another reason is that Peter was a mentor of Mark. You say, how do you know that? Well, the first century historians tell us that. In fact, many people referenced Mark's gospel as a gospel that was written with the voice of Peter in his ear telling him, hey, don't forget, don't forget to mention this. And then Jesus took us over here. And then Jesus did this. It kind of clarifies to us why the key word of the book of Mark, you know what it is? The key word is the word straightway, which is a word that means immediately. Can't you see Peter behind that? Peter, Mr. Impulsive. And immediately we went over here and immediately Jesus walked on and immediately he, he took care of these people and immediately, you know, you could, you could turn off the lights and just have a flashlight and open up your Bible randomly uh, just to the, to the scriptures alone and start reading and you'd start reading uh, and you'd see constantly the word straightway and you'd know immediately that you're in the book of Mark. I love the gospel of Mark. I really do. And if there's a chapter in the Gospel of Mark that I greatly love, it's Mark 5. For it's in this chapter that hopeless people find hope. And I'm telling you, there's never been a time, I don't think, in which people needed hope as much as we need today. Maybe it's just because you and I are alive and other generations would say, oh no, we needed hope too. Every generation has had hope hopelessness as a part of its framework. I get it. And Jesus gave hope to people who were struggling. Amen. Let me give you the backdrop and then we're going to read. Jesus in, at the end of chapter 4 actually took a boat trip with his disciples from the western side of the Sea of Galilee and if you've been to Israel, you can picture this. It's really kind of the northwestern section near Capernaum. And he got on that boat, and probably for one main reason, just for, just for rest purposes, Jesus began to sleep in that boat. And they traveled all the way to the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee. A storm came up. That frequently happened on the Sea of Galilee, so much so that the disciples were fearful for their life. The boat was being rocked in every direction. It was quite disturbing. And they had to wake up Jesus. That's fascinating to me that they had to wake him up. He was sound asleep in the middle of a storm. I love that. He was calm. He was at peace. 
And Jesus stood up. Wouldn't you have loved to have seen him do this? Wouldn't you have loved to have seen him say, shh, that's enough. <laughs> Calm down. Wouldn't you love to see some eight-foot wave just about to land in your boat? And, it, and Jesus said, nope, whoop, 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 stop, I'll hold it right there. And that, that big old wave goes, puts the brakes on, and just falls flat. No wonder the disciples said, whoa. Now that's hidden in the Greek, but I would have said that. And then they said, what manner of man is this? That even the winds and the waves obey him. Jesus proved that he had power over nature. Then they got over to the eastern side. And that's when chapter 5 begins. And a maniac comes out of the, the, the cemetery, the graveyard. He's, he's possessed with what was called a legion of demons. Many demons. He was unclothed. Nobody could chain him down. Nobody could control him. He made everybody frightened, probably for their life. And he comes out because he sees Jesus coming and the demons come up and they say, we know who you are. You're Jesus of Nazareth. And then they say, are you going to destroy us now? You see, they know there's coming a day when they're going to be destroyed. And they were wondering, is this the time? And Jesus said, enough, stop talking and come out of the man. And they went out of the man after they begged to be delivered into the swine. They wanted to possess something. So Jesus said, you can go fill the swine. They possessed the, the hogs in that area, 2,000 of them to be uh, close to accurate. And then those swine jumped over the cliff into the Sea of Galilee. Jesus proved that he had power over nature and he proved that he had power over demons and the devil. And I don't know about you, but I would have found it a bit odd that the people in that area did not invite Jesus to stay. I mean, the man, this man has been frightening people and, 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 uh, and, and, and all of a sudden he's got power to deliver this maniac of all these demons and yet the people of Gadara come out and they go, you need to leave. You know, it surprises me even to this day how some people, when they see what Jesus has done for others, they say, nah, I'm not interested don't want Jesus around in my life. And they said, you need to leave. So not even 24 hours have clearly passed. Jesus gets back in the boat with his disciples and starts traveling to the western side again. Where folks, honestly, when Jesus got over there, the only way I know how to say this is this. Jesus was over there a star. Everybody wanted to be around Jesus. They wanted him. Did they all trust in him? No. But they loved to see him do his thing. And they wanted to see him do the miracles. Some trusted. Some just crowded around him. Let's pick it up in verse 21 of chapter 5. And we're going to read, and I'm going to tell you, friends, it's like every verse that we're going to read screams at me to stop and make a comment. And I probably will occasionally, but I'll try to get through this whole passage tonight. Verse 21 and when Jesus was passed over again by ship unto the other side, much people gathered unto him. And he was nigh unto the sea, which means he had no room to walk. He was right. He got out of the boat and, and they just thronged him. Verse 22. And behold, in other words, pay attention. 
There cometh one of the rulers of the synagogue. And he has a name here, Jairus by name. And when he, Jairus, saw him, Jesus, look at his response. He fell at his feet. Now, can you just stop and remember something? Synagogue leaders and rulers did not worship Jesus. It just didn't happen. Jesus was a threat. What's going on here? No wonder the Bible says, and behold, this is big. This synagogue ruler comes up and he's in his nice clothes. And everybody in Capernaum knew him. All the Jews knew Jairus. They knew his name. And when he sees Jesus, he fell down and begins to worship Jesus. Well, we're about to find out why. Verse 23. And besought him greatly, saying, My little daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray thee, come and lay thy hands on her, that she may be healed. And look at this statement of faith. And she shall live. Can you see Jairus? He didn't care what anybody thought about him. He didn't care how muddy his clothes got on that shore. He didn't care what the other Pharisees or scribal leaders thought about him. Before his daughter passed out from her sickness, he could hear her faint voice saying, Daddy. Is there anything that would melt the heart of a dad any more than the cry of his little girl? He falls down before Jesus and he's thinking, I've seen you do the miraculous. I saw the man with the withered hand and you healed him. I've seen demons come out of people because of you. Come to my home. And he says to him, just put your hand on my little girl. She, she will be healed. And look at the next verse, verse 24. I love it. And Jesus went with him. Did you know that the language tells us that it was Jesus went with him promptly. He didn't pause. He didn't hesitate. He didn't argue. He didn't say, now Jairus, aren't you the one that's been a bit critical of me? Me and my boys? Haven't I seen you standing around with other Pharisees kind of yang, 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 yang. Yeah. And now you need me, huh? No, you don't see a hint of that. Jesus went with him. Went with him promptly. And much people followed him. Well, of course they did. And it says they thronged him. They couldn't wait. They, they were thinking, hot dog, here we go. Something's cool going to happen here. Now, notice it almost looks like a second story, but it's always tied together with Jairus. It's not two stories. It's just two people in one story. And a certain woman, which had an issue of blood, 12 years. She's got some kind of inner hemorrhaging, tumor, cancer. I don't know. And had suffered many things of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was made nothing better but rather grew worse when she had heard of Jesus. She's not even seen him before but she'd heard about him. When she had heard of Jesus came in the press or in that massive throng behind and touched his garment. For she said, if I may touch but his clothes... I shall be whole. Now, folks, again, the language of that statement is it was a repeated statement. She's not talking to anybody in the crowd. She's talking to herself. If I can just touch his clothes, 
if I can just get up there and touch his clothes, if I can just touch his clothes. She's trying to convince herself to work her way through the crowd and just touch maybe the tassel at the bottom of his robe. If I can just touch his clothes, I will be made whole. I've tried everything else. But she's saying, I know who he is. And now look what Jesus does. Verse 29. And straightway, the fountain of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. And Jesus, immediately, knowing in himself that virtue had gone out of him, turned him about in the press and said, now folks, this is a repeated statement too. Who touched my clothes? Who touched my clothes? I'm not leaving. Who touched my clothes? Now, how many of you in this room think that Jesus did not know who touched his clothes? He's not asking For his own information, he's asking for her identification. And it says in verse 31, And his disciples said unto him, Thou seest the multitude thronging thee? (laughs) And sayest thou who touched me? And he looked round about to see her. He knew who it was that had done this thing. But the woman fearing and trembling. Now, What in the world? What's the difference between those two words? The word fearing has to do with her inner fear. She's she's fearful because she's thinking, she's possibly thinking, he's he's mad. He's the son of God. He could give me my disease back. He he may even give me something worse. She's got an inner fear. Can I use this word? A reverence for who he is. And then it says she trembles. That's the external. Oh, what's he going to do? She knows who he is. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came, and look at what her response is. She fell down before him and told him all the truth. She told him her whole story. And he said unto her, (laughs) Daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace. That word in is go into. Like I'm giving you an open door to walk into it. Go into the door of peace and be whole of your plague. While he yet spake, there came from the ruler of the synagogue's house, that's Jairus now, certain or certain people which said, thy daughter's dead. Why trouble the master any further? As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he saith unto the ruler of the synagogue, be not afraid. Only believe. And he suffered no man to follow him save Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And he cometh to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and he seeth the tumult and them that wept and wailed greatly. So the professional mourners are already there. When he was come in, he said unto them, Why make ye this ado, and you weep? The damsel's not dead, but sleepeth. And they laughed him to scorn. When he had put them all out, he taketh the father and the mother of the damsel and them that were with him and entereth in where the damsel was lying. And he took the damsel by the hand and he said unto her, Talitha kumai, which is being interpreted, damsel, little girl, little dove, little lamb, I say unto thee, Arise. And straightway, the damsel arose 
and walked. For she was of the age of 12 years. I love this next phrase, next sentence. And they were astonished with a great astonishment. I feel like right in my margin. No kidding. She was dead. And Jesus shows further compassion, the next final verse. And he charged them straightly that no man should know it. And he commanded that something should be given her to eat. Dear friends, this story, this passage has gripped my heart and spoken to my heart for years. I will not do it justice. Nor will I take the time to give you everything that is on my heart or that jumps off the page at me even as you study the wording that we got here. When I leave here tonight, I will say to the Lord, Lord, please teach people what I didn't get a chance to say and what I forgot. And I've already prayed that. What's going on here? The fact of the matter is in this story, you see an unmatched power from Jesus. You see an unmatched passion and an unmatched pity. You see the heart of Jesus. You see the helping of Jesus. You see the healing from Jesus. You see the hope from Jesus. Jesus has come back over here to the western side and he is approached by this well-known, wealthy, well-educated. You didn't make it as a ruler of synagogue unless you were literate. Not everybody could read. He could. This well-dressed, wealthy man who had several rooms in his house. Not everybody had several rooms. And everybody knew him. And probably made room for him when he walked the streets of Capernaum. And they watch him fall down before Jesus and they're thinking, oh my, what's going on? And he says, come to my home. Come to my home. I need you. My daughter is in the process of dying. Now, friends, you realize this is a recent problem. Jesus has only been gone for 24 hours at the most. Come to my home. He's got a recent issue that is a heavy load. And I can hear old Jairus when Jesus starts coming. Jairus is saying, out of the way. Everybody, move, move, out of the way. Let's go. And he's he's got his arm on Jesus, maybe an arm around him and a hand on his elbow. And he said, here we go, here we go. In the midst of that traveling to Jairus' home, here comes this unnamed, unknown, uh, defeated, diseased, depleted, desperate woman who has tried everything, the Bible says. And other gospel writers said that the same thing. She has spent everything she had. We don't know this, but I'm just reading between the lines. The inner uh, disease bleeding that she had caused her to be called unclean. She would walk around people and folks, she, she would have to warn people when she came around because she was considered to be very unclean. She had to walk with a cloth in front of her in order to keep... Uh, her breath, it was considered, it was believed that if her breath fell upon somebody, you may catch what she has. What a horrible life she had to live. She had this cloth in front of her face. They called it social distancing. And uh, I, I think that's what they called it. She had to keep five feet away, not quite as tough as we have it, uh, from people. And if the wind was blowing, 
She had to stay 150 feet away from people because of the threat of this disease. Her sickness, is it a recent problem? Oh, no. She's had it for 12 years. And can I tell you that, that the, medical ish, the medical world of that day was not anything like what we have today. People sought out witch doctors. They, 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 they sought out the occult. They sought all kinds of strange things. And I, I don't have time to even tell you the things that they probably called on her to do to deal with her sickness. It wouldn't be of any help to her whatsoever. And yet here she's heard about Jesus. And by faith, she comes and says again and again, if I can just touch his clothes, if I can just touch his clothes. And she touches and immediately she knows nobody else has done this for me. And she slips back in the crowd. But old Jesus, he doesn't stop. He turns around and he goes, all right, who touched my clothes? And we just read it. This unnamed, unknown, unwanted lady who is very possibly divorced because you couldn't be with this woman. She was unclean. Everything she sat on was unclean. Everything she touched was considered unclean. She couldn't even enter into the synagogue where Jairus worked. She's a lonely lady. And Jesus looks at her and she's trembling and she's broken in front of him and she's scared. She's wondering what's he going to do. And this is the only time where Jesus said, according to the word of God, he, he may have said it elsewhere, the only time where Jesus called somebody what he called her daughter. Daughter, your faith has made you whole. I just adopted you. You're in the family. You put your faith in me. You know who I am, don't you? I'm the only one who could heal you, more importantly, spiritually. Can you imagine the outbreak of applause? Can you imagine the people who, maybe some ladies, because this is what ladies do. They reached down and picked her up and hugged her. They hadn't done that. And for the first time in over 12 years, this woman feels probably the touch of somebody's warm embrace. And they say, we're so glad for you, happy for you. This is wonderful. Have you forgotten who else is in that massive crowd? He's over here thinking, I have a daughter. I have a daughter. She's about to die. This is fine. This is good. I don't know how long this took, 30 minutes, 45 minutes. How long did Jesus spend with this lady? I don't know. Took a while. Finally, Jesus turns and starts to go. And immediately, as he's going, up walks somebody from the home of Jairus, a servant, a, a, a relative. Who knows? Somebody. And they came up and they said, Jairus, I'm sorry. Your daughter's dead. Don't trouble the master teacher. And the Bible says as soon as the words, they're just hanging in the air. As soon as they were expressed, that quickly... Jesus said this, be not afraid. Can I tell you what he was saying? He was saying, actually, he was saying, stop allowing yourself to be afraid. Boom! Have you ever noticed how fear comes on us quickly, suddenly, and grips us in a, in a quick way? This man, Jairus, was, was immediately set with, with anxiety and hardship and fear. And Jesus said, stop that. Stop, Jairus. Stop fearing. And then he said, only believe. He was saying, be believing. Let me put it in easier English. He was saying, keep believing. You approached me. You know who I am. I, by the way, I'm convinced we're going to see Jairus in heaven if you know Jesus. We're going to meet him there. Maybe Mr. and Mrs. both. I hope the little girl too. He was saying, keep believing. You know who I am. 
Let's go. Don't be afraid. Stop it. Do not be afraid. Be believing. They go to the home. Wouldn't you have loved to have been inside that house when Jesus kicked out all the professional uh, funeral uh, mourners who made racket and he said, get out of here. Uh, she's not dead. And they walked into that second room where she was laying down. And maybe, friends, Jesus lived in Capernaum. He may have known that girl. This Talitha Kumai. Some people believe that it was maybe a possible little nickname, Little Dove. Maybe everybody called this little girl Dove, Little Dove. Maybe it was a nickname Jesus gave her. I don't, Jesus loved kids. And he took her by the arm and by the hand and he said, like a mother in the morning saying to their child, it's time to get up. Little girl, little dove, get up. It says they were astonished with a great astonishment. The word great there is a word that can also be translated loud. Well, I would have made a lot of racket. I don't know about you, but I would have made a lot of astonishing sounds. I would have invented the chest bump right then and there. Boom! Man, can you believe this? And then Jesus said, Peter, come here. Don't go outside and tell anybody yet. Let's just enjoy this moment in here. They're going to see her running around town. They're going to know sooner or later. Get her some food. She's hungry. She's been sick for a good set of hours. I wonder tonight, to a church that knows full well what it means to pray, to individuals in this room who have probably spent some time with God in prayer today, I wonder tonight, how long has it been since your prayer life? Let me rephrase this. How long has it been since you saw God do something in your life as a result of your prayer life? When was the last time you prayed for something and you had to step back and you said, there's no explanation for this except God. God did this. God, you heard my prayer. You know the burden of my heart. No preacher, no teacher, nobody has the ability to communicate all that needs to be stated and said about prayer. The only thing I long to do tonight is somehow another stir and and to do our best to awaken in our being tonight a refresher of what God wants to do and can do as he says to his followers, don't be afraid. Keep believing. Could it be tonight that there are folks in this room, you've allowed fear to win over your faith and you really don't pray like you used to pray? Could it be that your discouragement through the years of seeking God for something have caused you to become a bit more mechanical and rote and and just simply saying the same old robotical words on a daily basis? Abraham heard from God that he and his wife were going to have a baby. And he said, the angel said to Abraham, there is nothing too hard for God. Job, at the end of, of his book, after he saw the, the, and was reminded of what God has done and can do, Job said in Job 41, there is nothing too hard for you. Jeremiah said, O Lord God, thou hast created the heavens and the earth by thy great hand and thy outstretched arm, and there is nothing too hard for you. When was the last time you prayed acting like you believe that? You know, it's, it's, it's bothersome to me that a bunch of the boys on TV that do not know our Savior 
But they stand up and they start trying to communicate some kind of a message about what God can do for you if you'll send me a little bit of a gift of financial help. And if you'll do this and do that, God can... And they have hijacked a Bible truth that God's people need to understand better and better all the time. God does miraculously answer prayer. And there's nothing too hard for Him. I'm going to tell you this, and I mean it with all my heart. I thank God that I got cancer four years ago. You say, preacher, you don't mean it. I do. I don't want to ever get it again. But I thank God I got it. You say, why? Because I learned some things about prayer. I found out what it was like to not have to watch my clock all day long. I could say to my wife, Lynn, I'm going out for a walk. She knew what it meant. I'd walk our streets in our neighborhood. I'd get up super early sometimes and watch the sunrise and watch God do and create and reawaken His planet. I'd watch birds leave their nests and I'd watch flowers that would bloom that were not there the day before. And I saw the handiwork of God and I'd just brag on Him and talk to Him and say, I love you. I see what you can do. Oh, I need you. I want to tell people about you. Let me live. If you want to take me home now, okay. Okay. But if you'll let me recover from this cancer, I'll tell people again and again, you can do anything. Your will be done, but I worship you. Let me see you do the miraculous. I could turn this into a testimony meeting tonight and there are people all over this room that could testify of great works of God in your life. I know that. So would you let this stir in your heart an awakening for some of you? Do somebody, does somebody in this room need to, to reevaluate and say, you know, my prayer life is not that vibrant like it used to be, like it ought to be. The psalmist said in Psalm 50 and verse 15, God said this, and call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. We seem to discuss prayer. We sing about prayer. But do you pray? I mean pray. I don't mean just Lord bless this food. Do you pray? Do you know what it is? I'm not talking about the length of your prayer. I'm not talking about going for long walks when you got to get to work. I know that. But do you pray? Do you know what it is to irritate the devil because of your prayer life? Do you know what it's like to pray and then to live that day with a spirit and a sense of expectancy? I can't wait to see God answer what I ask Him. Friend, I'm not talking about just praying and giving God a litany, a list of all the things you want him to do. Fix this, tra- change this, and rearrange this, and, and, and you kind of ring a bell and say, come take care of all this. And there, God's not your bellhop, but he is the one who said, keep believing. Jairus, you're not the most perfect guy in the world, but keep believing. Jairus, you've criticized me. You have not been my best of friend, but keep believing. You approached me in faith, and I like what I saw. What can we learn from this? Would you see, number one, the wideness of God's mercy? Very quickly, the wideness of God's mercy. You say, what do you mean? 
On one hand, you've got this well-to-do, well-known, well-educated, some people would have said in that crowd, well-deserving, which is not true, individual who approached Jesus and said, I need you. I need you to come to my home. I need you to change things in my home. And on the other side of the social spectrum, you've got somebody that everybody avoided. I can imagine that if anybody saw that woman in the crowd that day, they possibly grabbed their children and said, woman, get away. We know who you are. Stay away. She was not wanted. She was, she, we don't even know her name. She's unknown. She's a social outcast. You've got a wealthy man. You've got a woman who spent everything she had trying to get healthy. And to whom did Jesus reach out and help the most? To which one? Friends, you know the answer. He helped them both. He healed them both equally. He was, he was compassionate for them both equally. Why? Because you don't come to Jesus saying, I deserve this. I've been in church every night this week. And I go to church all the time. And I'm a decent father. And I'm a good grandmother. And fill in the blanks with whatever you want to. That song that we have sung for years, Just As I Am, it's the truth. I come as I am, undeserving of your healing, undeserving of your help, undeserving, but I need you. Come to my home, come and heal, come and take care of this burden on my heart. You see the wideness of God's mercy. So what does that mean? Then to me, to me it means simply this, come to the Lord believing. You don't, listen, you can spend your, every day of your life saying, ah, you know, Morris, I just don't, I don't deserve God uh, listening to me. God doesn't probably care for me like he cares for pastor and like he cares for uh, other people, the deacons here in the church. And I mean, you know, Morris, I just don't deserve anything. Listen, you don't go to him with what you feel like you deserve. Can I remind you who it was that came to Jesus when you read through the scriptures? Broken people came to him. Destitute people came to him. Hurting people, sick, weary, lonely, wounded, scared, men, women, Jews, Gentiles, soldiers, foul-mouthed soldiers, foul-mouthed fishermen, children, rich, poor, government leaders, non-religious people, religious people, criminals, like the one on the cross. We'll meet him in heaven. Who said... Remember me, and Jesus said, I see your faith. You'll be with me today in paradise. You come to Jesus just as you are. And I wonder tonight, will it take something desperate to get us to get serious about prayer? A relationship problem, an employment issue, a health problem, uh, a, uh, a, a, a financial setback, uh, 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 an issue that you can't even express and put into words, something that's emotional and relational. You know why these two people reached out to Jesus? They recognized his character. This man, Jairus, had seen the character of the Lord Jesus. This woman had heard of his character. What is his character? He cared. He cares. You got to understand that they weren't too far removed from the Greek nation, the Alexander the Great culture in which the Greek gods, all those yahoos we had to study in school years ago, you know, the Zeus and the Neptune and the 
uh, Leroy's and all the other, those uh, Greek gods that we had. And I think he was in there. And, uh, and, they, and they told us all about them. Those Greek gods considered themselves too high and mighty to lower themselves to common man. And then Jesus comes along and they recognized his care. They saw his nature. They saw his character. He was compassionate. He was caring. And he was capable of making a difference. As a result of them recognizing his character, they made a request with courage. What this woman was asking for was a big, do, big to do deal. What this man needed was he didn't even know how big of a miracle he needed until he got word that she was dead. They requested with nerve. Let me ask you do you ever talk to the Lord with something that you would honestly think, now this is an impossibility? This is probably never going to change. This is not going to happen. Oh, I, I, yeah, Lord, I know, I know. I hear Morris up there talking. You can do anything. But I, I mean, this circumstance in my life, I just don't think it's ever going to change. These two people recognized the character of the Lord Jesus and they reached out and said, He can do the impossible. I came home from a revival meeting from Hershey, Pennsylvania. You ever heard of that place? What are you thinking about right now? Me too. Let's close in prayer. You know, let's run up to the store and get some. It's the sweetest smelling city in America, I think. I was preaching in that church and there were actually some people who worked at the factory there at uh, Hershey. And I happened to mention, I said, you people are so lucky. I happened to mention that I like chocolate uh, candy, I think every night. And uh, I mentioned it. And I got some samples. It was quite the treat. I didn't ask for it. After about the third time, I said, did I tell you I like cars too? I, I don't know. How, how far can I make this go? I ate that chocolate and enjoyed it. At the end of the week, I was driving back to my home, and I knew I was going to get to see my son and his family grandkids. I had some chocolate candy left over. And as I was driving home, I said, oh, this is great. I'm going to get to share some candy with these kids and have just a great time with them. I walked in the door, Papa, and I, I just loved it. And I, I went to chasing them around and acting like a monster, all the things that Papas do, and, and, uh, and tackled them and had a, just a great old time. It was super, lots of fun. And then, and then I said, hey, gang, I said, I said, Papa's got something. I told him I'd been in Hershey, Pennsylvania, where they made all this candy. And I said, they gave me some candy. And I said, Drew, my grandson, I said, Drew, I said, what, what would you like? I got Reese's peanut butter cups and I got Snickers. Which would you like? You just got to know Drew. I mean, he is just basically a perfect boy. Don't argue with me about that. He shook his head and he said, Papa, those people gave you that candy. It's not for me. Now, is that not almost angelic? I'm telling you. I looked over at his mother and she looked at me and she said, He's working you. He knows full well what he's doing. I said, let him work me. I don't care. I said, Drew, peanut butter cup or, or Snickers? He said, Papa, I really like peanut butter cups. I said, well, take one, buddy, and there's more. In, enjoy it. I looked at his big sister, Karis, and I said, Karis, what would you like to have? You like peanut butter cups or, or uh, Snickers? She said, Papa, I don't really like peanut butter cups. I said, you like Snickers? Uh-huh. I said, well, enjoy it. Take it. Enjoy it. Get it. 
Then I looked at the baby. By that, the, the youngest. She's about four. Amberly. I call her Ambers. I said, Ambers, which do you want? I got peanut butter cups and I got Snickers. That little girl knows well enough who she was talking to. She looked up at me and she said, both. I want both. I'm not just stopping with one. I know who you are. Guess what she got? She got both. She could have had the, the, the keys to my car if she wanted it. She, she owns me. What's the point? She knew who she was talking to. Hang on. Our God is not some grandfather figure that you can snap your fingers and ring that bell and clap your hands and say, come on now, come and jump by and whenever I need you. But he is called our father. And he said, call unto me. It's an amazing thing that he has to command us to pray. What's your prayer life like? Do you recognize his nature? Do you understand how much he cares? You said, but Morris, I prayed for something a, a long time. Yeah, put yourself in Jairus' shoes. <sighs> I'm glad, I'm, going, so I'm glad for this other person getting their needs met. You ever been in the waiting room with God? That's where Jairus was. He said, preacher, I've been in, I've been in that waiting room for, for years asking God to do something. Yeah, I, I know, I know that feeling. I understand. You say, some, you think God is always going to answer whatever I want? He's going to answer and give us what it is that we need. But I'm going to tell you something. He will give you that which you will kick back and say, that's what I needed. I see the hand of God. It wasn't maybe precisely what I asked for. But like the Apostle Paul, you will be able to say, I asked three times for this thorn to be removed. But God said, no, I'm going to let you have that. But I'm going to give you additional grace and my power. And I'm going to see the hand of God in my life as a result of it. Keep believing. We see the wideness of God's mercy. So much more I want to say. Friends, can I just tell you there's not a burden that He cannot carry for you. There's not a problem He cannot solve. There's not a sickness He cannot heal. There's not a heartache He cannot calm. There's not a door he cannot open. There's no lost person he cannot save. There's no wayward Christian he cannot restore. There is no trouble he cannot ease. There is no fear he cannot remove. Paul said now unto him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or even think. What's he saying? He's saying that God is able, but he's not just able, he's good. He even knows what you're thinking about. And he'll take care of some of the things that you're thinking about talking to him about. You never get around to wording it. You see the wideness of God's mercy. Let me hurry. You also see the wonder of God's might. Jairus stood there and he saw once again what Jesus could do. Oh, what mighty power. You see the breathtaking wonder. As he comes to the home of Jairus and he raises up a dead little 12-year-old girl. Brings her back to life. 
So what does that tell you to do? Well, what Jesus tells us to do. Be believing. Keep believing. Don't just come believing. Keep believing. I was in an airport not too long ago and I looked up and I was just kind of sitting in the waiting for my plane to board. And I looked around. I saw a married couple sitting not too far from me. And the husband had his, t- his phone, cell phone up. And he and his wife were clearly watching some kind of, of uh, movie, some kind of program on, their, uh, on his, on his uh, uh, phone. And she had one uh, air, air uh, pod in her ear and he had the other one. And they were watching and they were listening and they were up next to each other and watching that. And then all of a sudden... Whatever happened on the screen, I don't know what they were watching. All of a sudden, the wife went, (gasps) something startled her. Something took her breath away. And I thought, when was the last time God did something as a result of me just praying? And it was like, (gasps) oh God, you're almighty. What's wrong with us? Why does it have to take some desperate situation before we really learn to keep believing and to say, oh God, I see the wonder, the breathtaking wonder of your mighty power. I've seen it before and I want to keep believing and see you do it again. But more as you say, I've asked for something again and again and again and it looks like it's never going to be answered. Just keep on praying until he tells you to stop. It's like a parent going out and buying a Christmas present in the month of November and putting it up in their closet. And the kid keeps asking for it. Mommy, Dad, can I get, can I get those skates? Dad, Mom, can I get that, that uh, football? Can I get that uh, football uniform? You know, with the star on the helmet. Uh, can I, uh, uh, can I, please come back tomorrow night. And can I, can I get that present? What the kid doesn't know is he's already got it. It's in the closet. It's just not time yet. And the Lord looks at you and he says, I'm going to give it to you when the time is right. But right now I'm just enjoying the fact that you're seeking my face a little bit extra and you're wanting to talk to me. You wake up in the middle of the night. In fact, sometimes I wake you up on purpose so you'll talk to me more about it. Keep believing. God is omnipotent. There is nothing impossible with him. The bottom line is prayer is focusing all of the unlimited power of Almighty God, the one who spoke, who spoke and billions of galaxies came into being. Prayer is calling on that unlimited power of Almighty God to come to the attention of one person or one situation and change it and move it and do something that you're asking for. In your own life, in someone else's life. So when you think about what you're praying for and to whom you're talking, there's no room for worry. There's no room for an up and down mediocre Christianity. There's no, there's no room for stress. Why? I've talked to him about it. And he can do the impossible. God can change the hardest of situations. You approach him with confidence, with boldness, humility. And expectancy. Why? Because He cares for you. He always has. And He always will. I've had to come back to remember that. 
And I have felt his arm around me at times and I've sensed, I don't mean that in some spooky way, you understand. I've understood what, I've come to understand that my God wants me to pray and seek his face for that which would be considered miraculous. Most of you in this room would be familiar with the name George Mueller, a man who established five orphanages in Bristol, England, all built by prayer. So many stories about George Mueller. You've probably heard this one. It's my favorite. Where Mueller came downstairs for breakfast one morning at one of the orphanages and the plates and cups and silver were all in place. The workers had done their job and then they turned and looked at Mr. Mueller. The children had gathered and they said, Mr. Mueller, It's time for breakfast, but we have no food in the house and no money to go get anything. Mueller turned and looked at all the children. He said, I know you've got to get to school, so we need to thank God for whatever it is he's going to do for your breakfast. They tell us that Mueller lifted his head up and lifted one hand and just simply said, God, I thank you for what you're about to do. I thank you for supplying what we need daily. These children need food to start their day. We look forward to seeing you work. He said his amen. The prayer was over with and a knock came to the door. They went over and opened the door of the orphanage and there stood at the door the local baker who knew Mr. Mueller. And he said, Mr. Mueller, God woke me up at 2 a.m., and told me to get up and start cooking, bread, baking bread and baked goods for you. Do you need it? He said, we do. And they brought in those baked goods. And you can imagine the eyes of those children as those baked items came in. And when they all got it in, another knock came to the door. And they went over and opened the door. And there stood at the door something that used to happen in that generation. There stood the milkman who traveled throughout the community delivering milk to people's homes and places wherever they needed it. The man had a cart pulled by animal. He looked at Mr. Mueller and he said, Sir, my cart just, I just broke an axle. And he said, I got to get underneath there and fix the axle and, and go back to the shop. But he said, it's filled with cans of milk and he says they're all going to spoil I'm not going to be able to get where they need to be delivered while I'm working on that on that axle he said can you just take the milk off my hands he said yes we can they brought it in and I again would think to myself what did those people think when all that food came as a result of just one man praying I wonder how long has it been since we saw God do something in some relationship or some f- burden that you're carrying, some hardship, don't, don't, don't let the false teachers kidnap and hijack the teaching of scriptures that God can do the impossible. The most important prayer anyone will ever pray is the prayer of repentance in which a person recognizes I need Jesus to be my Savior. That's what I need. This message tonight has been for those who are in the family of God. They have reached that point where they stepped 
into a relationship with God by way of Jesus Christ. Jesus said of himself, I am the door. By me, if any man enters, he shall be saved. We all need to be saved. We all can be saved. And we all get saved the same way, the only way, through Jesus. And a person goes to God in prayer. They go to the Lord Jesus in prayer and they say, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I need you in my life. Come into my life. Save my eternal soul and rescue me so that I can have what those ladies sung about, everlasting life. That's the most important prayer. Child of God, does your prayer life need a wake-up call tonight? Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, you can visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened, and we want to encourage you to share this message with others. May the truth of God's word be your guide as you strive to follow Christ and make him known to others.